Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey everybody, welcome to uh, 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, we're coming to you live from our homes, all of us this time. Uh, we have Bob with us out of the hospital, happy and healthy. Hi everybody. Uh, we got Brennan uh, in his uh, Tennessee hovel. <laughs> hey everyone and uh straight from the block is mike what's up yeah mm-hmm. uh, i'm nick and uh we're gonna do something we haven't done in a while but we definitely need to get out of the way today we want to give a shout out to anthony whitley mr r mitchell holbrooks Corey spencer cody sprandlin lou moore brody ascendin and greta dovey also, I want to get in there, Seth Hammond. Uh, you guys are lifeblood of what we do, and we love that you guys love us enough to throw a little our way. Uh, so we definitely appreciate that. It's uh, just an, a dent on mine. It's, it's doobie. I know that for a fact. It's uh, it's going to be specific uh, brought up, but uh, I, I know it legit. So uh, having a little fun there, Greta. Nice to, uh, nice to see you back. <laughs> Sounds like a juicy of a name. Oh, that was definitely that was definitely an inside joke. But, uh, <laughs> thanks, Bob, for bringing it up, for everybody. <laughs> Today we're we're covering the Victorian Age Companion, so uh, it's the third and last book in the Victorian Age series, and uh, and it was a uh, it was it was a pretty good read, I, I thought at least. As it winds into chapter one, it takes us over organizations, uh, mainly like uh, secret societies occult organizations and uh and kind of what's in play in this setting and 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 what their histories are it would take us forever to go through them i think there's like 13 or or some madness number in here sounds about right so uh best thing we can do here is uh, is just kind of say you know like uh pick out what stuck out to you guys mm-hmm. let me while you guys are looking i want to point out the importance of the section um, exactly what it's for is because people don't have a clue. The foggiest effort or clue as to what the societies contributed uh, to the Victorian age when they go through and get this game and they get the books in the, as a whole. And I appreciate this because if you went looking for secret societies to put in your game, you'd be lost in a sea of is this relevant or not. Mm-hmm. I think today's invention of the mm-hmm. internet makes it to where you could find, you could spit and hit like a dozen alleged secret societies that have formed from nonsense in any time period you want. And this book really just puts them right in the center of what they were aiming for. And, and, and you need to do that. Uh, most Mostly need to do that, I should say. Is an exhaustive list? Yes. It's a companion, folks. This is not meant to be something that is a must-buy to go with the main book. I say it is, but you, don't, you, could, you could get fine without ever having this book. Right. But what they put it in here for, and as extensive as it is, is so you have something to read. <laughs> gives you options of what you want to put in your freaking game, right? Mm-hmm. That's the name of the game here. The business is the book. You digest it. You like it. Thumbs up. You don't uh, sell it at a used bookstore. Get you another one. You know, that's kind of how it goes. And it makes a good point, too, because they, they cover these societies pretty well. They go over basically w- where they are currently and, and what they've been in the past, kind of where their origins come from and their, their philosophies and ideals. Um it, it starts out right off the bat with the Knights Templar and the Rosicrucianism, um, which is the yeah. rose and the cross um, by several different names. They go with German and otherwise. Those two orders, for the most part, c- 
kind of are the base for which most of these secret societies stem out of. Not all of them, but the vast majority of them seem to have that, that tiny thread that links them all together. I was just going to say my, uh, my favorite of all the orders was the, uh, the Twin Princes. Right? I, I, I don't, the Brotherhood of the, the Twin Princes of Tiern Moss or, or some such shenanigans. <laughs> you got these uh, this group of scholars, right? That most of these groups start with. Um, they get together. They're bored. They're in high society. They want to learn things and and do dark stuff, right? Um, then they decide that they're druids. Um, and <laughs> just, I mean, so let me let me back that up a little bit. All of these have kind of a, a circuitous route to me. But the, the thing that I, I want to focus on, um, hey, hey, structure. hey, I didn't go to law school. Does that mean a circle route? <laughs> yep, that's exactly what that means. Uh, <laughs> All right, just making sure I got that. Okay, that's continue, exactly continue, continue. Uh, the thing that I want to focus on is that they do this opportunities, um, secrets, destinies thing, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's for every secret society. Um, but the opportunity section is always about um, how you connect this thing to your game. Um, the secret section is about what lurks beneath the two pages that they're going to give you about the, the order's history. Um, and for the destiny section, it tells you where they all end up, right? So apparently these twin princes of Tiernmas have a Dunsern secreted among their, their elite. Um, and there's a, a, a nice little connection to the Giovanni that I don't want to spoil too much. Um, Not spoil it. Yeah. Spoil yep. it. What are we doing here? We're going over a section that has a lot in it already, and we're trying to showcase what goes on, and it's true. We want them to read it. But yep. we just said they're like 13, right? We're not going to read them all. So if you yeah. if, if it's set up smart and you like it, come on, Mike. Get that passion well, out. What, so what we you get like to, about this? I like it because we get to see that that thing that, for the most part, you only hear a storyteller talk about. Oh, the Giovanni are all about family. They're all about loyalty. They're blah, 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 blah. This dude, Robert Dunsern, kind of accidented upon his elite position this little group he got sent there and it was supposed to be a temporary thing um because the giovanni's wanted a piece and it turns into a, a a much longer more involved project um they end up having to with some black spiral dancers um unbeknownst to anybody who is in the secret society and it's i, I guess what i'm saying is the reason the twin princes is one of my favorite secret societies here is because Without a different book, I can look at their profile and get a, a whole picture of how they might fit into my game in, in a way that's interesting. It's got a curveball for me and for my players. And there's a level of that, but this one, this one spoke to my heart, probably because I've been doing a lot of reading for Werewolf. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> it, it works out really well, uh, mainly with their their crazy focus on on Celtic Druidism. There's only a couple in here that that kind of focus on that. Um, but my my favorite part was when they when they named the person who they they, they supposedly were trying to worship, which was Crooked Crom Kruak, the Black God of Harvest. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but I want to know. Right. Good old Triple C. It's, it's such a great setup name. <laughs> Crooked crime, it reminds you of playing a video game and like you never heard about the boss at all and when you get done with the, who you think's the end boss Crooked Crom Kurak comes busting out of the, the gates, you know. You have one last Pops out of a tree stump. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. 
Crooked Croc the Black God. Yeah, it would, it would do that. Let me, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how I would do this. I would do this guy as a crazy leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> he just pops out of a tree stump, and he's got like a little skull on the end of a stick, and just starts doing riddles and messing with people. Like, you ever play Skyrim, and they got the, the, the mad dude with the, the Jabberwocky? You know, who she starts like, go, yes. Uh, it would be it would be that that level of of just whack. I thought you would with Diablo, where it just would have been that midget in the field with a bag of gold, picking things up, <laughs> running around, <laughs> and when you hit him, it just shoots out gold pieces, so he runs away. Just really mess with people. Not that ridiculous, sir. Okay, okay. but pretty ridiculous. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the gun here because there's two things I want to do. do I'm it. really excited do it. here. Hit it. Um, Templarism is the one thing I want to point out historically, which is badass. And I want to talk about Jacques de Molay mm-hmm. in a second. Keep that name in your head. Uh, all right, all right. What I like about it is they start out defending pilgrims on the road since the First Crusade to yep. get there. That's their point. But nobody could see that they would need that protection so much it would turn it into sort of a business. There's a lot of people trading all the way out there and all the way back and visiting the holy sites and coming back. And when you have a nightly order protecting the entire way, um, they you pay a percentage is how it went. And these guys were just storing money. Yeah. And this is where a lot of their power and influence comes from. Well, two crooked people would be the Pope and the King decided they had way too much money yep. because money was power. And so the King's like, hey, we got to do something. The Pope excommunicated him and said, hey, if you're a Templar, you either die or you give up, give up being a Templar and you give us all your stuff. They were, they were robbing him, right? Which is exactly what was happening. Yep. And uh, Jack Stimulet kind of did the where I, what I like to think started the cult aspect of it. Where he told them both that, you know, you'll see me within a year as they burnt him alive. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll see you in the afterlife. And I believe it's the Pope that died in four months and then the yeah, other guy died less than a year later. Yep. What, this yeah, is every great story. Seven. This is every great story that ever started. Whether that was actually the case, whether he ever screamed that burning on the cross or not, mm-hmm. uh, is it, entirely up for debate. But that's exactly how stories get, you know. It's like Montezuma's revenge only, <laughs> you know, with a... <laughs> You know. Less shitting your life out. Of the other <laughs> right, end, right, right. That's so. It's the so, Templar's revenge, <laughs> and I enjoy it because if you come up from like this is a Victorian era, but coming up from a Dark Ages game, this gives you all the story you need. If you had people who are so, a lot yeah. of times people are hyper focused on knights and the First Crusade. You could run an entire Crusade game, be a part of this order, and surprise players. This is the fate of what happens to everything you built, and watching yep. that come down, and then having that done. There's a lot more room to put stories to it, like Nick just said. So the occultism fact is, did Jax Malay, by the way, has been used in other means in the world of darkness mm-hmm. for what he did. There is a knight order that was embedded within the Templar uh, that, that mattered that we went over in the Dark Ages that were kind of part of it as well. There's a lot of stuff you could attach to it to kind of get that going. I believe, if memory serves, even the Black Monk, uh, which is mentioned in the Book of the Worm, and you would know it from from werewolf has its inroads to being insidiously attached to what these guys were doing, whether yep. true or not, but it makes it super cool and, and like a cultish and perfect for a secret society to kind of have all those rumors. There's a reason people hate the Knights Templar and, uh, and why it's so embedded with all these conspiracy theories and, and mysteries and ancient occults. And that's because they were the first group to rival a nation without being, you know, like one of those right. levels, right? They weren't religious, uh, you know, beyond their their devout level to you know the the holy war, um, and they weren't uh, they weren't their own independent nation. But they came up with this ingenious system of where we'll take all your stuff at this port, 
will send you over there with an IOU in the form of a tiny coin. And when you make it to the Holy Land, they'll give you the rough equivalent of all your shit back. And it, it's absolutely brilliant because uh, that allows them to, to send these people in this transport without the possibility of losing anything. Right. It, it's, it's great. Muscle. Thanks. Let's not forget that. The knightly order. Who's yeah. going to stand against these guys? And doing what they got to do. Even the king said, we won't, but then they choke him with a bill, right? That's how that works. The other two here, I said said two, but there's other two. Freemasons. <laughs> we cannot not talk about Ah, uh, that was going to be mine. You have to. You have to. Every, if that was going to be yours, Brentron, please go for it. I don't want to. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, like, uh, like Bob was just saying, you cannot talk about secret societies in Victorian era without talking about the Freemasons. Because at this time, they're the largest. Uh, to give you a little bit of more history into it that the book doesn't go into... The Freemasons were supposedly around for since the Middle Ages, right, coming out of builders, but they started organizing in London itself. That's where the first one started. They started the trend of secret societies being popular. And because of that, what we what this book talks about is it's circles within circles, right? Some of these secret yeah. societies farther down the line recruit from other secret societies. And there are some that are entirely within Freemasonry itself. It goes talks about the Blue Lodge, the base level, and the Red Lodge, which goes from fourth degree to 33rd degree and, and beyond right uh so the the point of this is that this is this is your uh secret society for beginner secret society right this will be the the least uh occultish out of all of them but it'll still have that spiritualism behind it right all these all these motifs it's a toe in the water for that well it's, it's the not secret society right because who hasn't heard of the freemasons well secret society as <laughs> as in uh you have heard of them but you right? don't know what they're doing right you but, don't but know the on. rituals why is it that way though right that's the most important fact about the freemasons um it's because and i say this with all due a plum and fanfare and yes i'm poking fun but also it's off the cuff non-researched opinion i want everybody to know that mm-hmm this screamed to me the origins of the old boys club. This is where the, that's, that's exactly what it is, bro. Mm-hmm. There's apocryphal tales from like my grandfather of these people, black men in Jim Crow who will go into court with a Mason's ring on their hand and walk out with another accused black man in the South. That's the kind of, Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm, so no, no, you're yeah. fine. But when you think of when you think of patriarchy, right? When you hear that, this is where it starts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right at the time, only the rich was what the royal family. Yeah. This weren't in Parliament. When you think of London, right, which is where this is it, right? That's they're the ones who are the in and the super families. They approved of having the wealth they do, and that's that's those who serve the lords and ladies who are a part of it. Well, the Freemasons allowed us, the common man, if they had the connections. To be a mason, to ascend higher. Anybody else, they're in a they're in a ceiling type environment. You will only ever go so far being apprenticed to such and such. Mm-hmm. There is no higher. There's no more wage for you because, and they wouldn't tell you why. Yep. You had to find the Masonic lodge and you had to join and ascend within. That was the only way. And they become the old boys club uh, because of it accordingly. Now it shouldn't shock you. They're still around to yep. this day. Yep, they're still here. Right, <laughs> and this is the old boys club. I mean, I mean, this is this is what you think about when anyone talks about uh, um, what is it that uh, 
you hear about presidents being the Bilderberg Group, right? Everybody heard mm-hmm. about that crazy tinfoil Bohemian skull Grove. and bones, <laughs> uh, trilateral <laughs> commission, all that stuff. It all exactly. stems from Freemasonry. Illuminatus. Even the joke of like where they came from, right? The humor it puts in this book to me was that there was a dude who was a mason builder, Hiram and he knew secrets of building things. <laughs> and his apprentices said, "You're going to teach us," which is the point. Of apprenticing. <laughs> and he says, no, I won't teach you. This is what makes me great. You're going to teach me. No, I'm sworn to secrecy. Well, then we're going to kill you. <laughs> what? All right. I guess that's how that worked. And then they killed him. And then he was he was heralded as this great sacrifice because he kept the secrets. Which really, it's a bunch of bullshit. It, it, it tells the Lodge members <laughs> that this is why you shut your mouth. Right? Basically, it's omerta. Showcase, yep. right? And that's the code of silence for you mafia fans out there. That's what they had. <laughs> like, you join and say nothing, old boy. You sit right here, you come to the lodge, you get a meal, you talk, and that's what you do. But if you ever speak outside of here about what we do, you are out for all time. You know, that's <laughs> that's what it's like. And every group said, well, we want our own special society. And that's what this book highlights. You can't go, you can't spit and find a group that didn't form, that didn't take some of their shtick. And, and make it what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, hands down, my favorite is the round table, right? It's, it's taken the same idea, the, 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 the very exclusive, uh, you know, gentleman-only club, but goes way deeper and says, basically, if you're not who's who of anything, we don't even know your name. Unless you can sway anything politically, we don't even want to know you. Uh, this group doesn't exist to you. To say that they're all part of the the Freemasons group uh, is a, is kind of a it, it's almost like it's a given. They're in all these other groups, but this group is even more exclusive. And this is everything that uh, that Bob was bringing up, where Alex Jones is screaming at the top of his lungs <laughs> about the Illuminati and the because this is like this is a group of like ten, twelve movers and shakers who can have an impact globally. They're in this group. Nobody else is. They're my favorite part of this, and I need y'all to settle down. <clears throat> They're global imperialist government bearing the white man's burden. <laughs> the white man's burden, of course, is uh, civilizing the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah, that's a. Uh, <laughs> That's what they mean. And, and, and by the white man's burden, they mean extracting diamonds out of Africa, <laughs> um, the tea out of uh, China, mm-hmm. <laughs> you name it. Uh, it's uh, it's capitalizing. Trees, potatoes. Yeah. All, all they had to do was add like a Zionist agenda and they would have gotten the Illuminati bingo. Yeah. They, uh... <laughs> but I think, uh, I think Mike has the best comparison for them, which is basically the mortal and Kanu. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 what they are <laughs> to me, anyway. Uh, but I, I think that that makes them cool. That's not a criticism. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I don't know if they're cool at all. In fact, I hate them. That's uh, but they're good to use. I mean, they're good villains. They you know, are the or the round table. Yes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that clarification. No these these are the 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 puppet masters behind the scenes that that ruin your everything. Are these the secret masters from the Venture book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. they are now. Mm, okay, yep. cool. Definitely. They are now. Um, the, uh, the last, well, my last but not least, is that they bear mention because they're in the Wild West for Werewolf. They're, they're the Enlightened Society of the Weeping Moon. These guys played a role yeah. of being villains then. 
that still are mentioned here in the Victorian era as well. And it's cool that they are because they worship the freaking worm. Mm-hmm. They worship, worship the worm. I, like, how do you look at this and not see this, right? Their their orders are specific to lunar phases in the exact same layout as, as werewolf is. Yep. And they, they follow these druidic rituals that are eerily similar. It, it's it's beautiful. And sexual practices. I will tell you right now, yep. any society will gain strong loyal membership as long as they say, hey, we're about sexual practices and, and whatever else we're about. You know, we have those <laughs> rights and that's there. Yeah, I know. You're going to get people. That's there are there works. are limits, of course. I mean, come on, there's, there's got to be a line. I looked this up to see if this was a real thing at first, and I was disappointed when it was totally white wolf created. I guess no sexual practices for me in a ritualistic <laughs> format. So Brentron <laughs> is looking for a sex cult. Right. Look, well, I'm just not. saying, maybe if not. y'all have some referrals, right? If y'all get referral bonuses, just send me a line. If there's any Alistair Crowley groups in the South, Crowley's <laughs> go ahead and let them know. Yeah, they're he called needs the to unlock the, uh, He needs to unlock the third gate of his sexual mantra. But the point of this section is to fill a society that is not vampiric, not werewolf and agenda. It's not supernal governed, that mortals do just fine on their own. Now, they may worship, serve, or unwillingly do some stuff like you've heard in the backdrop. But the point is, is to still hold that level of mysticism as to where these people are going at night. Got to remember, we used to not go out at night because, you know, it was scary and dark and it was yep. only bonfire to bonfire. Now there's gaslight everywhere where people can walk around and go to pubs and nefarious things. This gives you them something to go meet about and things to do and yep. definitely something for you to decide whether or not they're going to exist in your chronicle. Wrapping that up, it, it moves us on to the next chapter, which uh, which is called The Twilight Globe, which more or less just kind of runs over the different areas of the world they missed in the first book and boy did they miss a bunch (laughs) (laughs) it's uh i think for me the only thing that really stuck out in this section was uh australasia or oceana Mm -hmm. uh however you kind of want to say that uh, sydney adelaide and dunedin or however that's pronounced it's apparently some version of scottish I'm sorry, people from New Zealand. Um, <laughs> this, this is something that, that never gets talked about, really, um, in uh, from what we've seen so far. But here they start bringing it up. Here's the origins of, of Kindred in, in Australia and New Zealand, which I, I, I found kind of interesting. Anything that stuck out to you guys? Well, I, I think we both got interested by one part, but I'll, I'll elaborate on that. <laughs> I think the, yeah. uh, if I remember correctly, the first vampires in Australia were rebellious Bruja that came in with the exiles. They were like, screw you, elders. We're going to build our own our own place. So they just went with all the criminals to Australia. And I just can't, I just laughed when I read that. Right? No, no, no. It actually, it, it covers it quite well. Because while they were, while Queen Victoria was, uh, was shackling and sending all the political dissidents and everything over to Australia. Mithras looks over and goes, oh yeah? Let's put some pine in some people that we can't tolerate anymore and send them with. If they make it, they make it. If not, <laughs> I didn't violate the sixth. The best of luck. Why is that guy worried about violating the sixth is my question in the first place, but we'll leave that alone. <laughs> Everybody's got to answer to somebody. You don't want to lose opinion points, Bob. You've played Crusader Kings. Come on now. that's how you get a rebellious council (laughs) this Mithras we're talking about you think he no council thought please 
<laughs> What's that council doing? Uh, Lord Mithras? Huh, you're here? Yeah? Uh, uh. Well, it seems I've killed someone with my no. own hand without letting you know first. Well, we would have killed him anyway, sir. Very well. Come on, Bob. <laughs> they go through very extensive areas in the book to outline that Mithras does have enemies. How effective those enemies are, it doesn't really go into say, but he does have competition. Can we admit Mithras is like the Donald Trump of the world of darkness? <laughs> right? In terms of Come influence, on. anything <laughs> his friends do, he's just going to pull them out of a sentence, you know, and uh, here you go. Nah, they're good. Come, you. They're good. Oh, wow. Don't worry about it. Oh, anything he wants wow. to get done gets done. You know, the council's like, oh, there there might be. He didn't mean what he said. It's some different thing. Trust me. Don't anger him. It can get worse. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how I see him. Uh, but that's just me fun and riffing, you know. It's just letting you go. Uh, because Trump, no way he would have be as cool as Mithras. But I like the analogy. Anyway, um, I'm hey, sorry you were talking. You were saying uh, about Dunedain. No, that was uh, that was that was pretty much all I think we had to say on it. What do you guys take on uh, Asia? I thought it was interesting that the venture got a hold on Hong Kong, but here's the part that really kind of confused me: is that. Uh, they couldn't really find a stance one way or another on Cathayans at all, right? They're not sure if Cathayans are friends, if they're enemies. They're like, well, I guess it depends on how well you played the, the rock, paper, scissors with the Cathayan you came across as to whether they like you or don't like you or, or could care less, right? It's, um, I, I wish there was a lot of detail in there where they would have gone through maybe how the, how the British Empire was trying to capture the, the rest of Asia, and, and they were. Otherwise, Hong Kong wouldn't be a thing, right? Right. And, uh, and, and what, what was holding them back, anything like that. And, and I, think, uh, I think that would be its own, another Kindred of the East supplement to even try and do that. But, it very uh, well might be. It very well might be. But it's interesting that in this time right now, obviously Victorian age, that, that even gets mentioned as an idea to do it. A lot of these places, I was shocked that they even had them in, in this book. For like doing Cape it to Town? me, the Victorian. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was weird to me. Like Cape Town seemed like uh, that place you send your children when you want to make an investment and hope it pays out later on. Like, all right, you're you're kind of pissing me off. You're spending too much time on Elysium, embarrassing me. Why don't you go to Cape Town and see if you can get me some money? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll pay out. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Yeah, I guess with that they were just trying to hit like the biggest the biggest colonies Britain had at the time there. I think that makes sense with me, just keeping with that theme. Yeah, I, I read about Cape Town. And I was like, I, all right, uh, what's the next one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they uh, they went through a lot of effort in this in this section to kind of go over the history of everything, and they didn't really spend a lot of time talking about the kindred influence on things, which I think was really where the the value was lost in that uh, yeah. setting your own. Obviously, they, they left it up the ST to, to build out that vampiric side in these areas. I think most of this could have been, uh, could have been found with a, a couple of quick Google searches, which I'm not sure when this book came out, but it might not have been so hot at the time. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, again, we're just trying to give different angles, right? I mean, that is the point of it. It's yeah. Victorian age across the world, hence the Twilight Globe. And so they, they hit that, you know, ideas to, to wet your whistle. Uh, for that, if you did want to do London exclusively, but yeah. shame on you. Of course, you want to do London. Yeah. Um, that's oh, they, they did bring up Ireland 
Once again, mm-hmm. did not find our Prince of Dublin, <laughs> but he's coming. I know he is. You you leave Denal Connor alone, okay? He's out there somewhere. <laughs> he's coming. We know he is. We know he's going to show up. You hear that, V5 people? <laughs> All right, so uh, roll us into Chapter 3, Nick. Shotgun. All right, so uh, Chapter 3 is... Uh, well, this is this is where things kind of get interesting. Right? <laughs> this is where we start bringing in other players in in the night. It's called the the Night Society and Beyond. This brings in a couple of interesting characters and some uh, some interesting antagonists that aren't necessarily kindred and uh, anything else really. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend you guys don't have interesting things in here to talk about. So <laughs> hit me with it. What's your got to talk about it? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about three: uh, Doctor Fountain Dyke, uh, Janos, Igor Handoval, and uh, Fountain Dyke's monster, Marcelo, the motorized man. Right? These guys are pretty pretty out there characters, right? When you read them, there's probably going to be some head scratching. But I point uh, these three were favorites for me because I was a, a big fan of Frankenstein's of uh, Frankenstein's monster when I read that in like uh, elementary. And this this is just like a port over of that, right? But this guy is um, uh, this guy's a, a a monster. I think he's a good example of uh, what we talked about in previous podcasts, where you cannot learn about necromancy and be a good person at all. What this guy does is he can uh, he found some way to soulcraft people, and he has used the soul of a. Uh, well, a very particular vampire to power uh, a mechanized man making Brad, his own... Do uh, you see these two gentlemen riding the edge of their seat? You better hurry uh, up before they explode. Okay, What happens? Fine. What happens? So, what he does is he takes the soul of a dead Ventru and he shoves it inside a robot. Just That's like what he does. This is, this, is the, uh, this is an accomplishment I have never seen before. In a in a masquerade book, but this man has done it, and uh, th- I feel as though this sets a precedent that uh, really shouldn't have been pressed, like set for him. Because if this goes bad, as every scientific thing goes in uh, in any work of fiction, he's going to get ripped apart. Come on, Mike. I know you got feelings on this. I... <sighs> Doctor Fountain Dyke was embraced in 1830, and. He has apparently functional, if not complete, mastery of a wraith discipline. The wraith doesn't call it disciplines, but it's basically a wraith discipline. So in 60 years, he learned how to do a thing that ghosts spend lifetimes in the underworld trying to get permission from a secret ghost guild society to begin learning how to do. Hmm. That's That's interesting. That's interesting. well, there's a very specific section <clears throat> in here where it says one very specific thing. Ghosts are not wraith, right? They're saying very specifically what happens in this book is not wraith the oblivion. And it, though it may it, share similar cons, while it may share similar concepts, it's not, right? So I'm going to help you. Because y'all youngins, <laughs> all three of you don't know jacked shit about this era at all, about what the mechanics of, of, of necromancy were up to this point. 
Necromancy any game was I soul steal and I put you in my watch. <laughs> that's that's what it was. Is that not exactly what he did? That is what he says, did. It says he had a venture and he slammed him into a robot, got him a robot man. Well, but nah, but see, it don't say that he bound the ghost to an, a, a robot that he made. It what? says that he captured this fucker's soul and then put him on an anvil and beat the will out of him. So who cares that he <laughs> did it, that? That's, that's creative. It call, but it <laughs> called it soul forging. They sure. Did, sure. All right. So let me let me let me let me let me put this in a different way, right? Um, they didn't design this for Mike. What were you for at this time? So they, they didn't care what you thought, right? At all, they were, they were they were like literally, this is what was out. This is the powers that were here. The authors went, this is what the Giovanni do, because that at whole is what everybody did with necromancy. You had somebody you don't like. What are you, the mighty Prince Methuselah Soul Steel? What are you now? Oh yeah, I don't have a body. All right, I'm putting you in them in my blade, and my blade's gonna gain some power. Do some other BS necromancy rights. I'm a god with items. And <laughs> and you get to the... That's why they updated necromancy. That's why they made books to round them out after this point and to kind of make some sense out of it that went more than that. You're absolutely right. Are they dipping into Wraith the Oblivion? No, they're not. Because if you know about soul forging, um, it's not quite what this guy does at all. Right? What he does is more necromancy. Because he still controls the thing and he binds a soul into it to be an automaton that he still controls. It still has a point. That's straight up necromancy. That's what it is. There's no other if, ands, or buts. And it's for sure shit not Frankenstein-esque. And let me explain why. <laughs> what? Okay? Yeah. I'm going to bust you on that. Freaking I'm over here chopping a bit. It's because I love the story of Frankenstein. What the, the passionate story of Frankenstein is about a guy who's seeking to defy death because he's seen it in his life. It has brought tragedy to him and everybody else. And he searches and goes through heartache an experimentation to find a way to defy God's edict on death. And he finds a way, but at what cost? And that's the point of it. Dr. Frankenstein himself was the opposite of no emotion. He absolutely had them. The problem is, is that it ate him alive to see what Frankenstein did, right? The moment that creature was going about, it was pointing out the fact it doesn't have any emotions to know about. It's going, it's like a child in a man's body well, killer's body with power and immortality and how it's reacted to the world. And the world is an ugly and terrible place is what they were outlining. So the things that Frankenstein finds was, was terrible. And Dr. Frankenstein was beside himself on what to do about it. And then his creature ends up, it's a beautiful story. Dr. Thomas Frankendick or whatever the hell, Fountain <laughs> Okay, great. He's, he's, something, he's, something, he's something else. I'm just pointing it out. I'm just pointing out he's something else. You know, that's that's it's something else. Don't don't relate him to that because I feel that they were straight up just going with the Giovanni. A Giovanni and a third in this book, so that you could kind of highlight that well, he's got Igor, that's true, in as much as that. And I'm not gonna say that's not inspired by, but I was like, nah, I don't I don't agree with Brennan. I see where you went from it, I see how you could see that. I, I just didn't. I couldn't let it go. Okay, it's not a deep go. connection. It's not a deep port, right? They took like some of the very basic themes. And Don't plot. back down. I'm Don't not back backing down and <laughs> clarifying. There's a fucking difference. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, I'm just saying it's okay. I like I like my right shoe. You can like the left shoe. Together, we got a mm. product. So I'm saying. My my only complaint about this trio is that uh, Doctor Fountain Dyke didn't have a child called Young Fountain Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> We are in agreement. It could have been more. It could yeah. have been more. I noticed there was a couple of hunters in here, uh, mortal hunters, which uh, 
I was shocked by. I'm not. I'm not even gonna lie. This guy, uh, Risto Palin or Palnin, uh, mm-hmm. this dude has go- thirty vampire kills under his he's, belt. He's Gogo thirteen. He's I don't who? know what that means. You, what is that? Oh, never. Is this some anime no, reference? Yeah, it is. Don't even worry about it. Skip that. Just cut it right out. Why? <laughs> Seems- <laughs> Why? I, or I'm you can positive, explain it. I'm positive every one of our viewers have probably heard of anime and Gogol 13. Nick is the only one living under a rock having to kill deer for breakfast, okay? So that could be the possible problem. Mike, Gogol 13. What's Gogol 13? Gogol 13, he's like, he's like if you take James Bond, Shaft, and the main character from Hitman and make him one dude, he gets these arbitrarily difficult assassination assignments. Like, the first GoGo 13 episode I ever saw, he was, ri- he was like riding a train, um, kind of like the shot from Wanted. He sets up this rifle, and he hits his target through several buildings and windows with an with a extra special gun that it turns out is just like an like a AR-15, because he can. Huh. Right? So, He's, what you just described... Uh-huh. Is a description that would take people even more description to understand. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna mic it down to this. Gogo 13 is a super spy in an anime action show. Boom, look it up. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Find find what he's talking about. But how is the, you're saying this hunter is Gogo 13 because he's got like 30 kills on vampires, right? Well, yeah. The, okay, the guys, it's madness, right? He he works almost like a James Bond. For his czar's secret service, mm-hmm. and uh, and every time there's a there's a vampire that pisses off the king of Russia, he picks up his little telegraph machine, goes tick 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 tick, and then calls this guy up and says, "Get out here, find this guy, and get rid of him." And then and the dude just straight up does it like the unstoppable machine that he is. Somehow will hunt you across the world to get you, and he's got thirty kills mm. that's like that makes the frog brothers look uh, embarrassing right <laughs> they're the frog brothers they started out embarrassing <laughs> how is that a comparison but but, but it does go to explain how he has oracular ability the merit <laughs> we've seen how well that does for actual vampires <laughs> jack and um, shit <laughs> so uh yeah he's he's through supernatural means, able to sense things that uh, that normal mortals can't, which gives him the edge. I find there's difficulty in making this guy better than what you read, other than it said he killed 30 vampires. That's, uh, it's all right, though. It's all right, though. I mean, well, here's... What, you, Mike? No, no, first no, no. Of all, no. Mike, you made Mike open his mouth, and he yawned back, and he was ready. He was shooting for Mike. What was it? It's loaded. I got the opposite impression. Like, I get what you're saying. They do give you... The throwaway explanation at the end of this guy's profile, but much like Gogo Thirteen, it seemed to me that the point was there's no imaginable, justifiable reason for him to be as effective as he is. Right? This guy to me reads like your neonates fucked up in Russia. Here you are, St. Figure out a creative way for this mortal menace to wreck their shit. Correct. That's, you're that's correct. what he reads like to me. Uh, let's, let's go back to this, Mike. I, I think you sometimes forget what the chapter's for. The Night Society and Beyond. Allies and antagonists. What's an antagonist? Uh, that would Billy. be an enemy. Set, set against your protagonist. 
seems to me Risto Panlan Island Island is perfect for that, right? <laughs> Bob can't pronounce that. Uh, it's it's perfect for it, right? Here's the it guys just, you can send after your players. We'll just call him Mr. P. It just stuck in my craw that they don't really tell you how. Because you're supposed to. Where yeah. do you come into this? Well, but so that's the thing, right? If what if, if I was want... a top hat and monocle wearing James Bond of the Victorian era who was highly capable yet still mortal and understood vampires enough to be a danger to them. What if? Because that what you just described is a step before this Google 13 guy. Right? When I read Paulin, I read he reads like if he is coming, you are dead. <laughs> he reads sure. he reads like more than a a confident, capable, experienced hunter with a military background who's done this before, blah, blah, blah. He reads like so much more than that in his profile. And right. so I'm when I see that, what I'm waiting for, the other shoe that I'm waiting for to drop is for you to tell me what makes him special among those mortals who aren't named characters but are experienced. Or now, what's have, interesting? Go ahead. What's interesting about that, you're waiting for that other shoe to drop, you got to remember what a storyteller has to always remember when these books come out. They deliberately tell you part of the tale, not the whole tale. They want you to use this material. They are not trying to canon this and force this down your throat. These are ideas to titillate and educate mm-hmm. on what could be there in the time, and then you finish that tale to fit your chronicle. That's it. You, you can't. You, I mean, you can because you're doing it. But when you decide that they got to finish the story, that guy. That's why this is a companion, <laughs> and it's it's designed yep. for you to finish yep. your own chronicle. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you can't exactly do that. that. Yeah. You know, but Marcelo the motorized man, James Handelval, and Doctor Fountaindike, they're steampunk. That's what it is. I mean, let me let me tell you. You know, I'm not. I didn't come down on Brent Trunk completely. I'm funning with him. He says Frankenstein. I say not enough. You know what? You know what that means? That means in the middle, it's steampunk. That's he's perfect for steampunk. Crazy yeah. goggles and all. He could come out and do the same thing. But that's that's me helping you, leading you to that water to drink. They don't say shit about steampunk in there. But that is essentially what it is. And that's, oh, and that's come on. It. It's got the angry heart of a ghost burning in the furnace of steam motorization. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's right there without it actually saying it. And uh, that's you kind of have to look at it with those eyes, right? I could also sit here and you I mean, any of these you can get mad and say, they all got to. I was doing it today. I was like, really? Another Brawl 5? He's like master martial art. And then when he described the motorcycle, the motorized man, remember, he's like basically the rock'em sock'em robots. Yep. It's how he's drawn. He could punt, he could jab forward or uppercut up. But somehow that's a brawl of five. Right? <laughs> Anybody who could bob and weave or able to get behind him should be able to stop. A, a, a freaking rope. You know, he trips and falls over. How complex is this robot? First but of all, Bob, are you arguing that he does not have iron fist technique? Look, he can have iron fist technique. He has look, stat for stat. He's got like 11 strength, right? Five potent, six, six mm-hmm. uh, strength, whatever. And you can look at it that way just to get an idea of the guy. But the point is, I was like, yeah, stupid. Just it's steampunk. It's whatever it is. It's whatever you choose to make of it. And I'm not down on it. I was just like, wow, okay, I guess that's that. And you move oh, on. The, yeah. It, it even demonstrates in here. Every, every coin must have a head and a tail, which is our next hunter. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Malcolm Shepard, who I nicknamed oh. the Mr. Magoo Vampire Hunter. Because what he does is he tries to spy on a vampire, sneaks into his haven during the day, finds him, 
laying on a, on a stone tablet out in the open, apparently, you know, the, the guy's just chilling. Right. And, uh, and he's like, Oh no, there he is. He's worried about the guy waking up and finding him. So he's like tiptoeing across the basement until eventually he's like, Oh, here's a window. Ah, but it's locked. Pulls out a pistol, shoots the lock, <laughs> looks over his shoulder and sees that the vampire didn't move. And he's like, whew, right? <laughs> then lifts up the shutters and lets the sunlight in and proceeds to cook this guy to death. <laughs> I, I can't put that any better. As someone who has botched an awakening role, I understand. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's, Anything it's else something... you guys saw in here? Yes. Uh, we haven't seen it. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> other things. That's an important group uh, because this is where you get permissions to be creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You didn't need them to be. You didn't need them at all, but much like it points out, H.G. Wells was an author for this era, too, and there's a lot of scientific or scientific or science fiction-y uh, feel you can add to this in the form of experiments gone awry, monsters that exist from beyond, all sorts of things that could bump in the night that aren't vampires, that aren't werewolves, that you can make and throw in. And one group in particular we all were, were talking about were amazing were the eyeless urchins. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They, Tell they, the story. So, what eyeless urchin is, is basically, it's, uh, there's so many kids happening nowadays with the populace of, of London in and of itself, which is where it was designed uh, to be a story to. It's like a, it's like a tale you tell in a tavern. You know, you hear your wife's pregnant, but you guys can't quite afford it. And you're out at the pub drinking, and you probably shouldn't because you got to save up your coins because you got to take care of that family. But since you're here, let me tell you the story of the eyeless urchins. You know, if you have a child and you leave it at home and it's unattended and it's a cold, it's a child who's cold, you know, along come these urchins and they may come and, and hug it, give it a kiss. And forever that child will be cold as they steal it away. And the child will still grow up. It will be hungry, but never need food as it'll grow magically and its eyes will slowly rot away. And then it will skulk about London with all these other eyeless urchins and places no eyes are needed to see. And what they do is they ever hunger for the warmth of, of, of body heat. And to them, warmth is mother. And what these things do is they grab anything alive and they hug it to death. They come out, grab it, and hug it, and this unnatural cold sets in until they basically just kill them. In a, in a tragic fashion. Pretty creepy. It's like a scary story to tell in the dark. So take care of your child, get a second job, get out the pub and go home. Is how I took it. But it's it's a good creature for, for that element. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a scary story to tell in the dark. I, but I, your players can run into it. That's the important part. And it will still be a, well, even though the book says that their group hug is utterly ineffective against vampires, can you imagine <laughs> being on the run from the sheriff trying to hide from the police or wanting something to do with a body or you got any of these number of strange situations that neonate might get into and then they see like frigid icy blue eye sockets in the shadows <laughs> like they just dodge into a to an abandoned building close the door they turn around and there are all these eyeless like children staring back at them and they're like you know what I'm safer out in the street with the sheriff. I'm just going to go. <laughs> I, clearly, I clearly thought of the, the classic, you know, the prince calls you in. I'm going to give you a chance to uh, to make up for that botched feeding you did. And you owe me one. So I'm charging your quarter to go and do this. Uh, there's been some odd disappearances around the docks 
in such and such area. My ghoul will show you where it is, but make sure my man comes back to me. That's all you got to do. Yeah, no problem. We'll do it. And then you get there and the ghoul gets swarmed and hugged to death. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're like, what the hell is it? They swarm and hug him. He's dead. And all you have is the Tremere who's running away. Right? It's just it's just the Tremere here. You're, he knows you're going to look at him, explain what it is. And he's like, nope. Mm, here. I didn't make it. No, 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 no. getting no, the hell out of this. Is, is that a, a Tremere technique they teach at Tremere school? Because I've seen several Tremeres take that approach. That's Bob's Tremere school. That's Bob's Tremere school. My, that, lesson number one. When you're doing work for the prince or the sheriff, and you get yeah. to the site and no one explained to you what danger there might be, you're just investigating, and then some crazy occult super stuff happens, you run away before they can ask you to do things. You run away. You go right back to the chantry, and if anybody asks, it wasn't out of fear, you were going to get your kit. You came unprepared. So what this then, is, is it's an, it's an age-old technique born in the pyramid. It's called Tremiristry. <laughs> all right everyone this has been your Tremere tip of the day that's <laughs> what you gotta do um but there's but that's just one of the creatures in here right um uh-huh. you could basically you can come up with damn near anything you want to throw in here uh at this point that that gives off that creepy feel that doesn't allow your players to absolutely know what's going on i think that's we all can exactly agree exactly it we can all agree that if your players know oh it's a werewolf oh it's it's right oh it's when they guess it like that, they already know how to handle it, and then they're trying to tiptoe around what they could actually do to deal with it. Well, what this is, it rewards creativity. The more you see it, the more you learn it, the more you want to know about it, You know they're going to follow that plot up um, organically, naturally. And it's a good way to do it. They just give you a couple to jump into. Yeah, I, I still feel like we kind of buried the lead on this section. Buried the lead? We, what are you talking about? What you mean? We haven't said anything at all about Anne of Lilies. <laughs> yeah, there's a... Re- yeah, there's, there's a reason for that, Mike. You just go let on, her Mike. push daisies. Yep. Tell, go tell on, Mike. Us, tell us about her. Tell All us right. about your girl. Anne of Lilies may have been daughter of a British diplomat in Hong Kong. At some point, he goes to do the thing with a retinue of attendants and, and, and employees, and nobody comes back but his daughter. And she goes back. To the home office, and she says, from now on, if I need anything, I'll have the full credit and support of the British government behind my efforts here in Hong Kong. And the guy tells her to fuck off. And then she, like, completely robs him of the lower functions of his body, everything below his spine. Just, just like, because she said so. And so he gets on the uh, not the phone, what is it, Telegraph now? Contacts his other people, and he says, we're going to help this chick. She's for real. And she's set up to be a uh, a contact, I guess, for player characters or for NPCs or whatever. Somebody you can go and talk to about unknowable things, right? But we find out that every so often, she'll, like, make an example of someone who didn't do what they what she asked them to do, and they just sprout flowers and die. And so after the book takes us through this long explanation of who she is, we get a sidebar, and it says there are two storyteller options here. Either Anne is a human who can be shot at the base of the spine just like anybody else, and she'll die, or she's giant question mark in the cosmos. I, I, um, if I ever run a Victorian Age game, I will probably use this character, but... I, I, I'm speechless. Was I the only one who felt like Anne was 
she should be the primary villain of this book. <laughs> like, the explanation is, it's long and it's ominous and it, and it reads like, um, like what I would imagine a good Lovecraft movie might be. But then they do the no explaining thing. <laughs> it's, she's human or she's... Right, again, this is, she's like a big seed to plant, right? She's like, oh, this is crazy. She's this I see what dangerous. You, did there. you decide what she is. Move along. Would you have cared if they told you what she was? I probably I would have ignored it. I would have cared if they explained her motivation. I would have cared if they explained her motivation. Because what they tell us is that she comes from this extremely dark happening. Like, the implication is that whatever happened to her father and his employees and everybody else who was in that crew was terrible. And then she comes back, and the first thing she does is gives this ultimatum to the British government, the most powerful empire in the world. But then she gets what she wants because she demonstrates she has the power to enforce her demand. But what is what is what does she want? Right? Well, I mean, we're back to so it's for us to explain. Yep. It's for the ST to fill in what she is and what she should be and how she should be, right? And that's that's kind of the point there. Um, I didn't mention Anne of Lilies because it opens up more questions than it can answer, and that's what it's supposed to do. It's a, it's designed for you to build a villain out of a uh, a female character to to do that accordingly. I I'll be honest, I didn't care for it most of all because out of all this, it's like the only female character that you could mention in this section, and it's a villain. Now it's allies, antagonists, and whatnot, but it's like it's like Lilith. Right, talk about the book of night. You mentioned love, mother of monsters, demons, and blah blah blah. And you can go that far, and you can make it a thing, or you cannot make it a thing. And to me, it was like she's in the book. Everybody read it, decide what they're doing with it. She could be a spirit of nature. She could be anything she wants to, really. And that's that's kind of the point. It's no harm in doing it. It's just me myself, my for all my creativity that I allegedly have. When I get Anna Willies, I'm like, oh, I wonder if she's dating Princess Toadstool, <laughs> or you know. <laughs> Just, just you know, what what happens? She's she probably a good hookup for ayahuasca. I have no idea what I would do with her. And the idea of using her as a linchpin for whatever weird occult knowledge people... It's the Victorian age. We just read a whole bunch where you could spit and hit somebody to know something in the occult. Like, there's a ton mm-hmm. of people you go to in societies. Like, if you're really hurting as an ST and you got to throw a nan of lilies for, for just occult knowledge, meh. I hope you use her for more than that. Definitely you could, but, you know, hopefully there's more than that. I think the story here would be what happened at the consulate. Right. right? With, like, with everybody else. That's the story. Because she's so, she's so big. Like, the way they set her up is that she's, she is cosmic in, in potential. Mike, Tim, whatever, Mike, whatever you're whatever spiraling us down a rabbit hole, Mike. I, I, we I'm tried sorry. to climb out, sure. but you dragged Go us ahead. by the ankle. No, and you just no, started no, pulling no. us deeper and deeper into the well. <laughs> All right, Al Pacino. <laughs> just take us on to the next one, then. So, to pull you back in, uh, the, the next chapter is uh, Stories of the Age, uh, which this is your storyteller guide mm-hmm. for how to run not necessarily just Victorian horror stories, but specific, uh, specified on Victorian horror stories, I should say. Uh, They talk about uh, basic themes, like uh, when rational explanations fail, you know, like in in the case of Anne of Lilies, and and how that seems to mess with your players and co-hosts' mind. Uh, Another option in in here is uh, the idea of stolen innocence and corruption, which is a natural thing in, in Vampire the Masquerade. But they highlight it in here because uh, 
innocence is way more important in uh, in Victorian age. Another option in here is uh, it, it starts talking about story structure, which is not something you see very often in a, in a book like this, but I think you should take a look at it because it's got cool ideas with how you build a story structure specifically for horror movies or horror games, I should say. Uh, sure. You know, kind of like how you build suspense and how you capitalize on that and how you you throw that around. I think uh, the the important thing for anybody here out of this book to not like go over is the structure. I agree with you. That's something to oh, read. Oh, cool. All head. right. So I'm not on my own there. All right. No, that's, no, the, that's the best. I've seen a lot arguably, of lost looks. It's arguably the best thing in this book because if you've never written anything at all, when you when you think about when you're writing plots and you're not a writer and you've never done it. It's you'll you'll get a natural idea of well I gotta have a reason for the plot. There's gotta be a reason the stuff happens, and those are the stuff that happens, and here's that. However, you like the confidence of knowing you've built a sound story. Anyone's gonna be that way amateur-wise. But when you start looking it up and you look at structure of those who have gone before you, that's when you start getting your 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 chops. Mm-hmm. You start earning your your confidence mm-hmm. to it, you're better with it. And this book gives you a freebie. It tells you the structure of it from beginning to end yeah. and how you can go about it. And just and just roll with the punches and, and what that is and I think that is its weight in gold for this entire book. Yeah, I'd agree with that a hundred percent. Like I, I read this and I this also grabbed my attention for another reason and that the structure it laid out like an example one was that of like a haunted house, which is my favorite yeah. type of story. My top three favorite novels are all haunted house novels. And like this this really this I didn't just find the topic interesting, I also enjoyed how it could suck me in to like there was a click there. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, right? Because I've talked to you it guys about did. story truck structures before, but <laughs> like this, this really like hooked me into it. Like, oh, light bulbs. <laughs> it, uh, it it goes on to to dictate different basic ideas of of, of Victorian common mm-hmm. uh, horror tropes, and I'm gonna say trope because it's what they are. Yeah, it is absolutely. Talks about uh, like artifacts that that you find and obviously have supernatural effects mm-hmm. you know ghost hauntings right it's something we've seen in tons of books movies and everything in between um tales of places gone wrong which is this is the one i always kind of like because this is it's very lovecraftian in it you show up somewhere and the smallest detail is kind of out of place but it's enough just to dig a hook in the back of your mind mm-hmm. It gets you kind of digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more sh- the more stuff you find, the uh, the crazier it gets until eventually you find, uh, well, the madness-inducing uh, horror that, that, that is laid out there by your very talented storyteller. A movie called The Void is one to check out where I feel that that yep. fits. Uh, also, for a, a novel standpoint, reading through this section, I kept, I kept getting flashbacks to high school when we were reading Turn of the Screw because it hits every point that they talk about here. Yep. Right? Someone new comes in. Something's off. At first, it's small, but it starts to build and build and build until madness-induced uh, uh, despair hits. I think that's, the, that's where the gold is in this section. And uh, take a look through it. Because <laughs> like it's, it's really, uh, we could talk on it for a while. Right. Yeah. Well, because well, we can't. We only have an hour. So that's what. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's well. Oh, as well, Bob reminds us, why I, I was almost abruptly failing to segue appropriately into yeah. the next chapter. We only have an hour. Is, uh, All right. 
Right. <laughs> so it goes over uh, the next section kind of goes over Victorian characters, which for the most part is bloodlines and, and kind of different ideas to think about when building your characters or your NPCs, or this is a great section that you'd want to sit down with your players and kind of go over different things in that. Mm-hmm. So, so um, let's, 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 we, well, let's do that for overall. This book identifies and says this section says, if you thought you knew what a caitiff daughter, cacophony, gargoyle, chaos, and salubri, Samedi are, don't sleep on it because there's going to be oh, oh something different. Did they yep. hit that mark? Uh, I, I, I think uh, I think it's like it's like did you taste nutmeg in this pasta? It's oh, kind of yeah, what it totally. is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's maybe maybe there's, but you're still eating pasta. It's uh, yeah. it's not that huge of a change. Yeah, for sure. What what I'll tell you right now is the daughters of Cacophony, I feel they did because they talk about them and this is their heyday. Because opera is all the rage, and they open that up, and that is of course true. Mm-hmm. And Dodgers of Cacophony are there, and you can see that. But the gargoyles they describe as sort of they're they're still gargoyles. It tells yep. you that there are few free gargoyles at all. It's just not a thing. Also, kind of not the theme for what the Victorian age is. But then, what is the point of the gargoyles here? What what do they do, right? And it's sort of for you to read and see if it fits that mark. And Kiasid, uh, they pretty much say they're the end all be all occult masters. Is that really any different? <laughs> right. So to the end, I'm like a coin flip. I, I think to somebody, you might read this and see it worded differently. But if it means the same thing, no matter how worded differently it is, is it different? Um, I would argue, no, this is not this is not so different as to be unknowable or a must read section, in my opinion. But there is gold in here, right? All the way at the end at the template section. Right, Mike? Oh. Yeah, I was just uh, I was just gonna say it's got some of the tightest templates I've I've seen in any any book. None of them are longer than a paragraph, and that's including three um, neat little spreads that tell you, you know, make this these this attribute your primary, this one your secondary, this one your tertiary. But it's like it's not like they don't take a whole page. They don't mm-hmm. print you out a whole character sheet. They give you like three sentences what you need. Here's how to set out your points. We're not going to show you a whole thing, but this should be all you need to jump in game tonight with somebody who knows the rules. And I appreciated that. It's it's interesting because if you had any of the other books where they kind of did this, it's like they had, what, four times to get it right? Mm. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. just saying. I think yeah. each time they did fine. But if we're looking at a goal that this is the tightest, best they've ever done, it better be. Yeah. <laughs> right? At this point, best be. Um <laughs> I actually like these templates, these small templates, better than what you'll find in like the Lore of the Bloodlines and Lore of the Clans book that came out for V20. Yep. I like this yeah. a lot more. I uh, I completely disagree, but that's uh, that's why we're all here, right? Um, I love <laughs> Lore of the Clans. You won't beat any of the modern stuff. I say that compared to the old stuff all the time. You, you just won't because of what it flows into and what it stands for. It's not designed. The, the, the modern stuff's designed to get you to think about what you can make your stuff. They wanted to get away from saying that this is how it has to be, and mm-hmm. this is what you have. Why? It, 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 I'm the worst at doing that. But why am I is because all the old stuff's written to a stereotype, to what's cool, to edgelording. And that's and that's what it does. It is. It's designed for you to say, my way is the best way, and F you if you disagree. I'm so cool. And that's, and that's a lot of what I take away from some of my opinions, but I always wait for someone to stand up and point that out to me. No one ever does. I'll do it for myself because I like funning. 
I can laugh at myself. I like what I like. But when I see new, I appreciate new. And everything V20 advanced in, in terms of Lord of the Clans, blah, 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 they do an outstanding job. And that's, and that's what it is in getting you to think, to open your mind and improve on the old. And that's what they were supposed to do, right? Is be better. And they are better. My opinion. Almost sounds like, like you heard Brennan say that the bloodlines in here are better than in lower the bloodlines. No, the way they're written in mm. template is what, no. I'm, is what I'm going to. Okay, I'm just talking okay. about templates. I'm not talking well, yeah, about the bloodline write-ups at all. Like, at the end of each clan, right, in the, in the those V20 books, Lord of Bloodlines, uh, Lord of Clans, they have similarly short little profile templates, right? Mm-hmm. Something for you to jump in the game with. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if those compare. Those are different to me. Like, I wouldn't compare them favorably or unfavorably. But the thing that stood out about the ones in the companion here specifically that it was literally two, three sentences, three is a lot, and it told you what, where to put your points without trying to give you a whole sheet, right? It, it does that thing where you connect concept to, to, to the page when you're making the character um, without needing much space to do it in. That's To me, that's a, a, a distinguishing element. And, you know, so if did, you've been playing a while, you don't need it. So they did right? paint by the numbers, that's what you're saying? Yep. <laughs> Yep, I'm yeah, saying, I guess it's look, awesome. If you could show uh, me, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. all right, we we gotta we gotta stop arguing. Yeah, we do. I like otherwise, I'm, not arguing. Otherwise, I'm just I'm just no, keeping no, no, it short but, and to the point. What I'm saying is we go, we gotta move on because we have time. <laughs> that's uh, that's only that's what I'm saying. Not hey, you guys get along. <laughs> we care less about that. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I just I just noticed. I, I like to call this fear. If me and Mike start debating Jesus, Nick and Brent are like, no, no, let's move on. Right. Don't you go <laughs> with that. You two go it's, at it's, it. It's all not that. It's, uh, we, we, just don't wanna, we just don't want to spend all night on it. Oh, is um, that it, Nick? <laughs> I did not say that. That was Nick. <laughs> He sent the message. It was secret and it was in chat. You guys couldn't see it, but it was there. Um, but on chapter six, we, we talk about uh, it, it's called the practical arts. Really what it does is it brings in some new mechanical ideas into in, into this for, for your storyteller. Um, it, uh, if you want to have a carriage race, it's in here. You, you can ride that carriage till the wheels fall off. There's mechanics for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding you. You can also um, <laughs> have carriage races with Gatling guns on top of them with this. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, it, it goes over some of the modern innovations that have come along, including like guns, phones, and other kind of weird stuff. Yeah, it, it actually says there's telephones <laughs> and, and when they came out and how they came out. It, 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 so that's a that's a common thing. Uh, but uh, it also does it brings up the science section, which which has an important point, which is uh, easy on the salt. And uh, and it, it doesn't mean saltiness, as in uh, being salty about something. What it means is you don't want to have too much reality mixed in to the point where you're doing a research paper as opposed to telling a story, which is not a, a crazy concept. Most storytellers are aware of it, but this highlights that. You know, even though we're turning to a rational era in the game, try to keep it supernatural. I think the whole point of this section, the practical arts, is just to give knowledge to the players and storytellers of what's available. So when you make a character or have to portray it, it, it's period. It's period correct. 
you know, so that you're fine. So you don't have to go research to figure out what it is to give you enough in this section to get an idea. And that's the, yeah. that's the open and shut to chapter six, really. Uh, for me, that was, those were my takeaways and I applaud it. You, you need to know any, any research you make easier for your audience is going to be pay dividends for interest. They told us at the beginning of the book, chapter six was going to be short, sweet, and to the point, and it was. But that's the last chapter we have. So uh, I guess this is where we give our, our overalls, our end of the podcast, what you thunks. Uh, so what did you guys think? Uh, I thought it was great. I thought uh, I, I enjoyed reading this book, even in the parts that I felt I would never be able to use or care about in a game. It was still it was it was like it went from being a vampire source book to a, a pleasant novel and then came back. There's highly recommend B plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I also would recommend this book. I think it's a great companion piece, as its name implies to to V twenty. And there's a I, I probably like this more than the other two. Actually, there's a, a lot of good gems in here. Uh, so yeah, I this gets a two thumbs up from Brentron. And just to state it, I think that uh, this book is a companion, and all companions are a favor. They're they're never not good. It's often you'll get the base book, and then all the good stuff's going to be thrown in the companion uh, to that book. And I don't know if it's because deadlines or whatever. Odds are it's just to keep good content uh, split up to to draw that interest. And and it does that. It does that. It hits it across the board. Um, for everything we talked about already. Uh, I would I would add the piece here that the only thing I would say is that if you're not a Victorian fan, this book is not going to be for you. This is uh, tons of running in the Victorian era, and no duh, right? It's a Victorian companion book. But if you're listening going, oh, God, I hate Victorian. Well, skip, you should have skipped. That's, <laughs> that's, what yeah. it's gonna be. that's what's at the top. So it's good for what it says. But I want to add, they, they hit everything they said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's always a good book when it does that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's going to wrap it up for for the end of the Victorian era podcast uh, for us. Uh, but there's cool new things on the horizon. Uh, we're going to be coming right back at you guys with uh, the start of our Werewolf the Apocalypse podcast. Uh, yep, you heard me say it. It's official. It's happening. Um, we're going to be starting off the, uh, the 25 Years Presents uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse um, also in the in the pipes, as, as Bob had mentioned earlier, we've got Kindred of the East coming. Um, we're in talks right now with a, with a possible format for uh, Chronicles of Darkness line yes. as well. Um, and, but and, and we have more things in the fire, but they're not official yet, so I can't tell you. Super dark secret. Um, <laughs> but we have uh, we have more irons in the fire than that, and I really hope we get to see some awesome stuff come out of that. Um, I do want to add, there is a potential here. Uh, with the Werewolf stuff coming up, we're looking for all you listeners who are super fans of Werewolf the Apocalypse. Um, if you're looking to get on the podcast, 25 Years Presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, it's an interview. Uh, we'll interview, we'll talk to you, we'll see what you know, we'll show you what book we got coming up. And if we like how you are and you sound good and you got that charisma and you group with us, you know, capable to have an opinion and are open to not flipping out if it doesn't match with your own, um, and, but still willing to give yours instead of being persuaded, obviously. Um, Because that's always good to hear, it's different points. Um, Think about bringing you on for a guest visit. Do you have to own a company? Do you have to be a part of a gaming group? Do you have to, you know, all this other stuff. You have to be experienced and knowledgeable about the topic. We're not looking for anybody who rushes out to get the book coming up to read it and try off the cuff 
to be a part of it. I'm bringing 20 plus years to this. These guys have been doing it for at least three years, dancing with it. Um, we're looking for at least that criteria, have some experience with it. And if you don't have it, you don't meet up. Just being up front. But reach out to us. Tons of places to get us. You know them all here off the podcast. Listen. And uh, we hope to see you and uh, let us know. We appreciate you guys listening and uh, look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.